Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Wednesday, June 13th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaber. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week we'll explain why the mobile web is really just a warning shot in the wireless revolution, what content creators can do to prepare for interactive Coke bottles, and we talk about the difference between portable and mobile devices. But not before we spend some time navel-gazing in honor of our 10th episode. So get comfortable. It's going to be a long one. Grab a drink. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. Good late, late morning. (laughs) Yes. It still feels like morning, though, so it's okay. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, totally. We both had a rough day. I know, totally scrambling. As usual, stayed up way too late last night, and the uh, we dodged the uh, the uh, vacuum cleaner monster today. But uh, the next door neighbors sold their house, and they're renovating. the The new people are renovating it, so there's a thirty foot dumpster that's. Uh, right outside my window that they're sliding broken bathroom tile down from the second floor so <laughs> yeah that that's nice and quiet it's soothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i think they're done for the day so this is probably good timing anyhow yeah i actually have that bathroom tile sliding into dumpster i actually have it on a on an mp3 on a loop and i play it at night when i can't sleep <laughs> Yeah, and you know who really loves it? The dog. The dogs. Oh, the dogs. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, I can imagine. Cooper actually does love it. He just stands at the window and he's yeah. like, "Look, it's like a like a big garbage truck." Look at the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> how did how did he get such an obsession with garbage trucks? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, you know, every every little kid has something. Right. It was trains for a while, but he yeah. uh, he doesn't care so much about that anymore. It's all he's all about the garbage trucks. <laughs> he has taught himself how to use YouTube on the iPad to uh, to get at the garbage trucks. See, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. People people worry about tech, kids and technology, and you know, Kira taught herself how to read so that she could play. Uh, we had a one of the a video game, and mm. she kept asking us how to play it. And finally, we just told her, uh, you know, you need to read what it's telling you. So she taught herself how to read so she could play that game. <laughs> right on. Yeah, it's crazy. Some of the, he, he just like, you know, he's constantly, he was asking all the time, like, oh, can you, you know, different, he'd be like, green one, the green one. Like he'd get into a video and it wouldn't be the one he wanted. And he got sick of waiting for us to come over and change it. So he just sort of poked around and eventually figured it out. <laughs> some of these truck videos have like 5 million views they're like incredibly popular it's just like some dude following a garbage truck around with a hand cam that's really weird yeah they get like you can there's it's like a whole subculture where the where pe- it's like bands will you know like like garage bands will put together this heavy metal music and put it on these garbage truck videos so to like promote their music <laughs> so they get all these views it's bizarre that's that's really Really strange. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's better than some of the other odd subcultures out there. But yeah, it's just a just an odd one, especially for a two year old. Yeah. <laughs> so Could yeah, he's not going around the house planking everywhere. So. <laughs> exactly. Not on purpose. Yeah. He face plants a lot. Yeah. Well, he's two. Right. So I'm sure we'll hear his. Uh, his toddling feet above us shortly getting up from <laughs> his nap so congratulations we've made it to the 10th episode yes yay yeah very exciting so last week we went live on itunes and this is the 10th episode and it, it's uh i think it makes sense to have a little like look back a little bit and then forward and talk about some of the sort of clarify some things and and just sort of reset a little bit yeah you're gonna refocus a little right 
And so I'm I don't I'm not sure if I mentioned this. I can't remember if I mentioned this to you or not. But um, when when the uh, feed went up on iTunes, I I got like kind of self conscious about it, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like geez, you know, there's like, uh, you know, we're up up next to Boag World and and uh, all these other like famous podcasts, you know. Yeah. And I was like, I I try not to think about it. Yeah, seriously. So, uh, I mean, I know it's just the one listener, but uh, still. So I I decided to uh, email two of my friends slash colleagues that uh, are very successful podcasters and just sort of say, hey, you know, we we just went live on iTunes. We've got some, we've got a few episodes on there, and any advice you could give us would be great. You know, we don't want to learn everything from scratch or anything like that. And I didn't, I kind of, I think I kind of expected them to be like, um, I kind of imagined them saying like, not things like, Oh, make sure your mic is two inches away from your mouth and, you know, and stuff like that. But I did kind of imagine that they were going to get back to me with sort of technical information and and neither one of them did that at all. Um, Hmm. yeah, they both basically said the same thing was like, just make sure you make great content. Basically, that's all they said. Yeah. And they were like, other than that, I don't really have any advice. And it was, it was, um, uh, it was Paul Boag from Boag World. And they do a, a super fun, uh, podcast. It was probably the first podcast I was genuinely addicted to. Uh, it's really fun. It's more design focused, uh, than mm-hmm. certainly than we are, but it definitely it speaks to a similar crowd. So I was interested to hear what he had to say. And then, uh, Brian Dunning, who runs the Skeptoid podcast, uh, which is t- you know, it's totally about uh, critical analysis of pop phenomenon and, and has nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about. But he certainly knows how to um, he's been doing it forever. He's got like hundreds of episodes and he's he's uh, I mean, he really knows how to run a community and, and all that sort of thing. So, right. Uh, but they both. Yeah, they both really it was just real quick response make sure you have great content um paul's focus was very very much uh, i guess i would sum up by saying he he thinks it's important to be informative uh, but also entertaining not just not just um you know here's how you do this here's how you do that like not a cookbook type of thing which would be hard right over audio anyway yeah (laughs) so i thought that was cool um and then brian had a little bit more and his podcast is kind of different, um, but it's I would I would consider I would put it more in the category of like uh, and all things considered or something like that. And his feedback was to basically skip any fluff, and right. and his other big thing was to commit to your release schedule, which we have been decent at but not great at. So our schedule at first was very um, yeah it, I, we don't have to go all the way into this, but. Um, but anyway, the the takeaway for the listener is that the plan will be to have a, a specific time when it be released, and I'm thinking Friday morning. Usually, I usually I, by the by late Thursday night, I'm able to get everything squared away. So, I think we've been getting better about it as we get used to doing it too. But we can definitely find a balance there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I. I listen- Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just didn't want to. I don't, don't want to like get too meta, but since it's like the tenth episode, and and uh, you know, sort of got enough experience that we can, you know, define a clearer plan that felt like it was worth mentioning. Uh, but it's not the kind of thing we would talk about all the time. Yeah, no, but tenth episode, we can reflect on some of the some of the earlier episodes and mistakes we made, and, and good things, and and figure out where to go from here. Right. So, uh, one of the things I think, um, really comes up for me is over the past 10 weeks, the niche experiment, if, if you want to call it that, which is basically an eat your own dog food type of thing with, um, you know, building in building apps that run everywhere. And I noticed when the, the podcast went on iTunes and, and it went up on player FM and, and there was a little bit of a little bit of conversation around it. I noticed that everybody kind of lumped it into a, um, a, a mobile web development podcast. Mm-hmm. And 
and I probably even I don't well, I, speaking for myself, I kind of felt a little bit like that, you know, two months ago when we were originally talking about it. Right, I did too. Yeah, but some of the things that have happened, especially particularly the Avalio clients that run in other other environments, has really redefined for me what not not completely redefined, but it's re it's emphasized to me that it's not just the mobile web that we're talking about here. In fact, it's it's really it comes up a lot because that's a um, it's a great way to make apps that run in lots of places because lots of people have um, smartphones. But that's that's more incidental, you know. The as as applications become embedded inside of everyday objects, then that would be something that I would feel would fall under our topic area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree. It, um, we talk probably more about mobile right now because there's, there's just more mobile out there. That's, that's the most, most prolific non desktop, non laptop sort of way of, of accessing the internet at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, I'm, I was just talking to, uh, the organizer of BDConf about a talk I'm going to be doing uh, in in Texas. I think it's in September, and he, you know I'm working on my abstract for the talk, and it's kind of like I, I was saying to him, I don't, uh, I I don't know how to describe it yet, but there's this sort of amorphous blob coming at us that this mobile mobile wave is just the first it's like a tremor in what i feel like is happening like wireless computing and mobile computing are a lot of times people talk about those like interchangeably because right. mobile computing is is the the major it's the killer app of wireless computing right now but it's totally going to be small potatoes in in well within our lifetimes and i wouldn't be surprised if it was in the next couple of years you know, like by 2015, I expect mobile phones to be uh, a very small percentage of the communication that's happening across the network and that we're going to have, you know, non-consumer devices, things like, you know, the Internet of Things, so to speak, with, you know, your your refrigerator texting you when, uh, or sorry, your washing machine texting you when the, you know, dryer is done and, and your your water meter giving you real-time feedback on your usage and, uh, and sending that information to other machines and other, you know, it's just going to be crazy. Yeah. Maybe my bathtub will wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah. I mean, Kelly, yeah. Kelly fell asleep in the bathtub. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Right. For six hours. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't stay warm. I wouldn't think. No, it didn't. I, no. I woke up very cold. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, eventually we're going to, we're going to reach a point where, it's going to be unusual to have a device that takes a battery and or plugs in somewhere and is not connected to the internet. Right. Yeah. I did an article a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I guess about it was, it was ostensibly about mobile analytics, but the, the sort of picture I painted in the article was about, you know, craftsmen hammers. And if they were connected to the internet, what cool things could you do? And, came up with a ton of cool things. I mean, I'm just, I was just sort of brainstorming um, what would be possible, but there's a ton of things that are possible if, uh, if, if it's cheap enough to wirelessly connect a hammer, then Craftsman would be bonkers not to do it because it gives yeah. all sorts of, uh, all sorts of great feedback to them, of course, but they can do a better job helping the people who buy their products do a better job, you know? Right, right, because you can, there's all kinds of, I would imagine there's all kinds of measurable information there they could gather about uh, force and vibration through the handle of the hammer or, you know, mm -hmm. things like that that could actually be useful in, in product design and improving the product. Sure. Yeah, a couple of examples I gave were like, like uh, you know, sending, sending, you know, information back to the home office like, oh, John's holding the hammer too far up the handle or... He leaves it in the garage and I'm going to rust because there's too much humidity in here. Or they could find out information because, like I said, it was about analytics. Um, they, right. they could discover that, wow, you know, 50% of the people who buy hammers in Florida store them on a boat. 
So, you know, from the accelerometer, so they could be like, oh, maybe we should create one that floats or, you know, there's just a million, million things you could do. Uh, and, and, and with the prices falling, it's going to happen. I, I would be shocked if I don't see in my lifetime, a, a craftsman hammer that's connected to the internet. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And so another, so on that topic, um, is sort of to pull it more into reality because that is completely made up. Uh, Smart Hammer TM. We should check and see if that's available. <laughs> um, that's way future. That's still way future, right? But the right and, and capitalizing on it and all that. But there are things happening now that are that that sort of throw a kind of radical bend on, um, <laughs> so to speak, on current technology and the thing i'm thinking of is the the bendable glass announcement uh from yeah. i guess from corning they have created like a bendable touch touchscreen glass that can it can't completely roll up i think it, it can bend down to like five centimeter radius yeah does <clears throat> hundreds of sci-fi authors just just got really excited yeah, yeah exactly and so I, t I tweeted about it because I was like, this is rad, you know, like, yeah, think about like, what's the media query for that? You know, like, <laughs> like we've got media queries for, you know, screen size, screen dimensions, and now for pixel density. And, and now we're going to have one for like, like bendability, like, oh, this, when the screen is, when the screen is bent more than, uh, you know, but I don't even know how to talk bend about it. Bend radius. Yeah, when the bend radius is more than thirty degrees, I want the the web page to look like this. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it just like one one popular um, improvement like that is. It's easy to imagine if you consider that that gets released somewhere, say product packaging or s smart jewelry or uh, some kind of sportswear. The it it throws it kind of throws a really almost harsh light in my mind on like the the standards process for things like CSS um, or or maybe I don't want to say the futility of it that's not really where I'm going with it but I feel you know what it is here's what it is I think that there's still this desire to control the user experience of the uh of your content so so you're a content publisher and you want it, it to be available in a variety of contexts on a variety of devices you you can't afford even now to recreate the wheel every time a new device comes out uh and and there's always it seems to be always this sort of desire probably probably most strongly evidenced uh in print that came to the web and now it's come to mobile mm -hmm. where, where brand managers and marketing people uh, and editors are like super, they're having a super hard time releasing the control over the, the final format. You know, they want this pixel perfect experience. Yeah. This was, this was the, the cause of your big Twitter oh, yeah. war last week. <laughs> yeah. It was related. And, and the, I don't know. I just, I, I think that that, I think the, the battle for pixel perfection or, or even close to that is just going to get tougher and tougher to win. It's just going to become more and more unsustainable as hammers get connected to the internet or, you know, smartphones are no longer uh, rigid or they're right. stretchy, like stretchy. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> I have know? a stretch. Wow. It, like nanotubes, the, I mean, it's that's not that's total sci-fi, but it's people are working on it. You know, I've seen proof of concepts, or not proof of concepts. But you know what I mean? Uh, uh, what are they? You know, when somebody just makes up a Hollywood like, video, like, for, the, like the concept art. Yeah, concept. Yeah, concept videos exactly. But I mean, there's there are entire websites, popular websites, devoted to stuff like smart jewelry and. And the the kind of ubiquitous computing folks, which who have been on this since the seventies at least, mm -hmm. you know, they're talking about smart dust that can that can like arrange itself into objects. It's like, I mean, it's Star Trek, but 
Um, but there are things happening now that I think just nuke the notion of control over the experience, the end user experience. And it's going to be in the control of the user. And the, the only thing we can really do is make our content available, content or services available in a way that will translate into all of those places. So that was kind right. of a, a long way around of saying that, <laughs> that, uh, that this podcast is not just about mobile web apps. In, yeah, in I think I think maybe another reason why why mobile apps get mentioned so much is you still have that level of control to a to a pretty good degree, and that control is even even for for me as a developer, it's still it's really hard to give up. Mm. There's it's really hard to give up for practical reasons, and still and there's a there's a big strong emotional tie there too. To the the sort of the sort of look and feel and presentation of of your content, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, I I know I it's I I don't have it as bad as other people, but I do have plenty of friends and colleagues that are 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 just totally like I only want to develop for iOS and I only I only set up my website to work on mobile Safari because I don't care about all those other platforms because it's a mess and and I don't. I'm not trying to attract those people, you know, like that's kind of the argument, but mm-hmm. that's for me that, and, and, and it's, I'm sure there are sustainable businesses in that area where you're, you just do iOS stuff and that's what you do. And it's just, right. not, it's, it's just not interesting to me personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems to like, if I was going to just, if I was just going to be concerned with a particular platform and just get excited about a particular platform, yeah, I, I probably develop like video games. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah, it um, it it doesn't do it for me. The, the single platform development to me, it's just it's it's not exciting. Right. Yeah, I like the, I like the challenge of, of putting it out there and and reaching as much and you know everyone as I can, and that's probably I think that's why I've kind of latched onto the the whole API thing so much mm-hmm. right so the, the what's cool about that and that's where sort of the notion of what an app is is getting sort of rejiggered in my mind because the mm-hmm. piece of going through the exercise with uh, the different Avalio clients that we had like a Chrome extension an SMS app and a, um, instant text message mate bundle. text mate bundle yeah and and these are environment, you know, several of the ones I just listed are non-HTML environments, but it's still the app. You still feel like it's the app. It still does the same thing. But in each one of those cases, the there's a different client, and it and in each one of those cases, there's a different context that the user is most likely in, a different mental state, a different uh, physical position, uh, mm-hmm. both from a geo standpoint, but also from a posture standpoint. Uh, it, there's so many variations and it's the simplest, it's, it's barely even an app, you know, it's like there's, it couldn't be much simpler and the amount of variation there is insane. So it's almost like our only hope. And and I, I, you can see a lot of developers doing this. Our only hope is to create an API that is, um, flexible enough to, to get repurposed and mashed up into other new contexts um, uh, but, but without being so abstract that it's not useful or it's too complicated to work with. Right. Right. And it's, it's funny because we're sitting here talking about APIs and APIs and what is an app. And, you know, we really, when you look at it and you get right down to it, our API is not an API. It's just an A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is more than just the AP. It's like, it, it's lower or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when your when your core when your core functionality of your application is it's all done through that API, and then all of your clients are, are on top of that. It's I don't know. I mean, you could you could say you could say each client is an app, or you could say, you know, it's the it's the API itself. It, I guess it just just depends on how you want to define it. But you know, there's an argument there for either one. Yeah, that's you. You actually read my mind. I was like, you know what it is? It's like we have an application on the server, and they have applications on their phone or on their or wherever. And if, you know, they just was, they just talk to each other. They talk to each other, right? It's it's uh, 
like for example, one of the one of the things that is really a boundary that's really been redrawn in my mind is that uh, when I first started hacking together APIs, um, I would put a lot more of the um, smarts of the front end into the API itself because when I first started doing it, I was basically creating desktop sites and mobile sites and mm -hmm. it's sort of like pre-responsive design and and I, no, no one was even talking about that. It didn't even occur to me. I had already built the desktop site old school style that, you know, sent down HTML templates that were that were assembled on the server and and then like trying to rejigger those with just with CSS wasn't working. So I was like, all right, I'm going to abstract out all of the parts of this that I can from the, the desktop website and create just like two different. Actually, I created like in one example that I can think of, I created like conditional templates on the server side and and it's it. A was a disaster. I mean, it, it's really, I mean, it was spaghetti code to the extreme. And uh, as soon as, as soon as, you know, like another new device came out, it would have been like more and more and more branching and logic inside the template. It was horrible. So, but I've, but left over from that, there, I've had in my mind, like a lot of, um, a lot, I think, a, 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 a kind of, propensity just trying to think of a word to use besides that but uh, <laughs> I, but it's sort of a an urge to put more client more code that really should be on uh, the client side of the application into the api itself so for example um if if uh i had a really there were a bunch of really complex mail to links that the application mm -hmm. would return and I did not want to rewrite those in each different client because they were super complicated. And and when I would change one, I would want it to change everywhere. And it was like this, you know, it was like an exercise to go through and make sure that, the you know, these like 50 really complicated mail to links were all right and in right. sync with each other. Uh, because they would create these pre-formatted emails that would get sent back to the server and needed to be parsed. So they had to be perfect. And it was really hard. So I, I tried to like sort of put that into the API and it doesn't, it wasn't the right way to do it. And, and a lot of these, uh, with Avalio, that is even more apparent to me because if we put, if we had put in something like, you know, you, you can't even, you can't even reliably return HTML from an API. That doesn't even make sense to me anymore because yeah. you, you don't know that it's going to go to a place where HTML can even get rendered. Right. I mean, and we were talking a little while back about Twitter's making the switch back to getting away from client-side rendering. Mm -hmm. And again, even even still, I couldn't. I could see ourselves, you know, if we have maybe having having the API and then having a separate app running on the server, and that the app on the server communicates with the API and takes that and maybe generates the markup server side and sends it to the client for a very specific type of client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But, but exactly. it's it's not something you want to clutter up the API with. Yep. Yeah, your then, your API should be strictly content. Right, so like structured content, mm -hmm. and, and that was the uh, that was that was uh, Karen McGrain's point. That's who we were, I was talking to on Twitter about it. Was that right. that I was kind of knocking the idea of of building a uh, doing mockups or wireframes with lorem ipsum because if you don't know what your content is how can you know what your design is supposed to be because i'm just one of those people that feels like the design needs to serve the content uh and without any content it doesn't make sense to start designing something um and, and right <laughs> you can't you can't solve can't solve the, the problem of delivering the content until you know what the content is right and she totally pushed back on me about that and I believe her when she says that there are good reasons to do that. So uh, I'll stay out of that. But the thing that was interesting was that I started to understand the distinction that she was making between like her, you know, content first. The, she was drawing a distinction that I wasn't drawing. Uh, her distinction is that the um, the content needs to be stored in a in a database in a way that's not redundant and is not polluted with any kind of 
particular layout instructions, including, mm -hmm. including rich text uh, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, we're kind of actually in agreement, but what I didn't about that, but what I didn't see was that she doesn't care. She doesn't see that as part of the design process where I did. So I was like, the content has to be part of the design process because that's just the way I am. But I, I don't, obviously people don't agree with me and I don't think either one of us is right. Um, but she's like saying that that's totally irrelevant. Like the joke I made about the lorem ipsum in the, in the right. mock-up has nothing to do with what she's talking about. And that, and that was cool that she, you know, pushed back on me because now I, now I get it. Right. Well, from a, from a design perspective, I think you certainly need to know as a designer, you certainly need to know the, the message of what you're trying to convey and the problem that you're trying to solve. But as far as the word for word content, yeah, you know, it's it's probably not, in most cases, not needed before you can start the design process. And I mean, I've, I've certainly done projects before where we haven't had, we, we've known what we need to accomplish and what our goals are, but we haven't had the copy that's going to go in there. And I've certainly started design projects like that before. And as long as you can understand the structure, which I think was what she was getting at, was the the way the content was, you need a clear, clear understanding of the structure of the content. Mm -hmm. Then then you can just, you know, for the most part, usually just, just drop that content in mm -hmm. once you, once you get the final copy. Right. So right. I guess, I guess it depends on how you define content. Are you looking at the content of as being word for word text that needs to go on the page? Or are you looking at content in terms of the concepts you're trying to convey and the problems you're trying to solve and, and just having, having really clearly defined goals and, and criteria for that? Because I guess you could you could look at it either way, but but that is certainly something you you, you do need before you start the design process. Mm. Yeah, there, otherwise I mean, you're not doing. You're otherwise you're not doing anything but making pretty pictures. Right. Yeah. And there are there's definitely projects. That I, same with me. Like I've started on stuff that probably was a little cart before the horse, but it was possible to get started because there were all sorts of other constraints that weren't going to change. So you know if the you know, recently did a thing that was, um, that was for a client who was, you know, this work is going to be iPad only. We mm -hmm. like, we know like whether or not that is a good idea. I don't think it is, but that is, that was the precondition. So that gives you a ton of constraints that allows you to start working on stuff before you kind of have, you know, all your I's dotted and T's crossed. So you know, so I, I get it. I get it. I could see she was right. And, uh, uh, it was still, it was, it was interesting though. So I definitely had a light bulb flash on moment, but in like when I used to, uh, I used to write songs a lot that was like my main gig and I could never write music before I had lyrics. I was like, I'm just like, it makes no sense. Like, how do I know what music to write? if I don't yeah. know what I'm trying to say. And, and that is uh, a lot of people write that way, but a lot of people don't tons of people, especially, well, I'm not going to say especially bands, but in my experience, a lot of times with bands, you know, you just show up and you're kind of, you know, you've got a ton of constraints. Like you were the guitar player, that guy's the drummer, there's the singer. And let's just start jamming and see what comes out. And then the, the singer sort of like, tone poems over it and then those turn into words i mean that's how like yes that's how uh, paul mccartney wrote yesterday he had mm. no had no words and that's like the most covered song of all time yeah so it obviously works <laughs> it's just not the for some people it obviously prefer. works yeah yeah i mean if you consider that a success <laughs> so yeah uh it's very very interesting and to sort of bring it back to the bring it back to the focus the the discussion is around okay in this near future world where a user is going to be able to access your content or your service on you know a coke bottle how does that how does that translate into what can we do to get ready for that and right. so the big takeaway i think from that that discussion is is get your content structured in a way that it's it can go off on its own into the world and and kind of become itself, 
you know, (laughs) not render itself, but I really think of it as like, like maturing your content in a way that it can like go leave the house and, you know, exist on its own. Yeah. Probably a little too personified. So so that when you log in by shoe. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's there. Yeah. It's, and again, I think again, for a lot of people, it does go back to control. Mm-hmm. You know, not wanting to give up the control of, of the presentation of their content. Sure. Because it's, it has marketing, it has implications all the way from marketing to, you know, maintaining a brand image to, to just practical reasons and aesthetics and all kinds of emotional ties there too. But if you're going to, if you're going to want to reach a wide audience that are going to end up on these different devices that, that we don't, don't have now, but will have in the future, the the only way you're going to do that is with well structured content that's completely free of of any type of presentation because the presentation presentation we have now for for a mobile phone or, or a desktop web app is it's just not going to translate at all right right and i do feel that like this is a near future thing it's happening you know so you know, Apple, oh man, I mean, this, this week was uh, WWDC and we don't I typically prefer not to talk about news, but it's just another example of, you know, they released a, a Retina MacBook Pro, you know, yeah. so like now what, you know, with images that aren't um, high enough resolution, which basically none of them are, uh, yeah. are going to look like junk. I mean, the thing is, like, four, got four times the resolution of an HD TV. It's this, insane. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like five million pixels on the screen on a fifteen-inch screen. So you know that it's you know, in, in images or content just as much as everything else. So yeah, that's going to throw like a monster monkey wrench into the the uh, workflow process for huge publishing. You know, like like. Time Magazine, uh, uh, Condé Nast, like, all, like, what are they going to do? Right. They're not right. going to, I mean, on the one hand, they could just be like, well, our, the images could look better, but they don't, you know, and just leave them the way they yeah. are. But you just know that's not the way they're going to think about it. They're going to be like, well, we need to, we need to uh, look as good as possible on every on platform. On yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's going to, that's going to run into all sorts of bandwidth. No, I issues. Know. Totally, I know. And and they and they, uh, yeah, I mean, bandwidth. They also released FaceTime over cellular now, so like people can yeah. have video chat over their cellular. Yeah. I tell you what, we're gonna have to. I say we, meaning developers collectively, not specifically you and me. Though if you if you and I could do it, that would be awesome. Um, solve, come up with some kind of definitive good solution for um, client side device detection mm. when it yeah, comes to well. serving these images. Yeah, I mean, smarter minds than ours are hard at work on this now. And the the uh, the uh, or speaking for myself anyway, um, <laughs> there's there are people who have uh, I th- I think Bruce Lawson from Opera is among a bunch of people who had the same idea at the same time about having a, uh, basically mirroring the video tag HTML video tag concept where you say mm-hmm. um, you've got. Uh, you've got basically a inst- images like a self-closing tag now. So they proposed adding a picture element that had multiple sources inside of it. So you'd have, you know, so elements. So each would be like the, the, uh, the video tag open and then inside would be source, 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 and all these different tags. And right. then you'd have like a fallback for like no support for picture. Then here's an image. And, uh, and that's one approach. Um, but it, it's it's fraught with difficulty uh another yeah. another approach that a lot of people have um have advocated is uh something called source set which i which has this hideously ugly syntax that i don't even completely grok which immediately that means to me it's never going to work yeah um, but it's but it's not a bad idea in in context in 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 theory but the, the 
you know, and there's JavaScript. So there's like so many, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And the, my kind of argument is that there should be a canonical link to an image and say, you know, just like there is a canonical link to a web page. Say here, here is the address of a particular piece of content on mm -hmm. the global network. What you choose to do with that is up to you, but this is, this is the canonical one which would be, of course be right. the highest resolution one. And that that's, that's way too oversimplified um, because you can't be sending down like, you know, 3000 pixel wide image to a Blackberry, you know, it, yeah. it's, it just, you, you won't do it because your site will take forever to load. And you'd be like, why is my site so slow? Cause we're sending this giant image. Okay. Let's send a smaller one. How do we do that? And there just all sorts of arguments on all sides. And there's really no answer yet, no clear answer yet. Um, Jason Grigsby is kind of like the, for me, kind of like the, the person who's collecting all of this research into one place because he recently wrote a book on HTML5 and, and did a chapter on this. And he's, he, you know, book had to go to press. He wasn't really happy with his options. He had to kind of pick a recommendation at the time and he's continued to follow the developments. Um, yeah. But there's there's a lot of problems associated with it, like you know CDNs, caching images. Like, well, what if if all of the so for example, if if you point to a um, a particular a canonical image, a high res image, and on the server side you you just set up your uh, your uh, your image server to send down a smaller image uh, if you can determine or if you think that the person's on a small device, right? So you could process the image on the other side, on, on the server side, and send down something that's much more appropriate to the particular device. Right. But then you get an issue of how do you handle the caching? Exactly. Right. Of that, of that particular URL. Right, because the URL has returned something different for different people, and that can get cached in places, and it can also, if you're distributing stuff you know, across a CDN, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Uh, so... And then another major issue, I don't, it's just crazy, but there's the, uh, the art direction issue where even if you did send the highest resolution image to everything and you just said, screw it, um, the, you know, the, like, so you have a huge image, uh, and the example that, um, Jason uses is you got this huge image of sort of like a, uh, a last supper style zoom out where you've got a, a focal point in the middle and then you've got a bunch of people on both sides, like say a, a president Obama giving a, giving a, uh, a, a presentation, a speech yeah. or whatever. He's got all these people and it's interesting to see the people and on a huge screen, you know, you can see who's standing around them, but on a small screen, it'd be zoomed so far out that you wouldn't even be able to see anybody's faces. So really from an art direction standpoint in a smaller format, you should have it cropped around right you should have you should have a different image a different crop right a different image and that's um that is that was something that never occurred to me uh but it's a valid point i mean you know if if you are um if you're trying to support all these different devices and you are trying to create a nice experience everywhere and that is what that is what art directors do um yeah. then you know there's no way that H, right now that HTML solves this or even there's no JavaScript solution. I've, there, I've seen no solution that, um, that crosses all boundaries. There is none. So oy, anyway, um, what does it all mean? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we going to do? So, so yeah, since we're way down the way down the adaptive images path, I think the advice that I give to people is, uh, kind of an annoying that it depends uh depends on your app what you're trying to do um it depends on your content your brand which approach you take but it's kind of like you're either going to deliver small images and res them up by downloading bigger images later or um or deliver huge images and shrink them down or try and do something fancy on the server side but uh none of them are perfect so there'll be one that's better or worse for your particular situation and you know put in the show notes links to all of this stuff but how do we get on that was that that's like that was a content conversation that was course. a content yeah a, a content formatting mm. 
it's so funny. Fun. It's funny because we have it is. It would be nice to be able to just consider all the different kinds of media like and treat them the same way and be like, well, if this is a canonical link to this web page, then there should be a canonical link to an image and to a video and to an audio file. But it, they are actually fundamentally different in a way that re uh, requires a different kind of processing. Yeah. Yeah, you can, but then you get right back to there that we we're just talking about and you end up developing for one device or one platform. And it's, it's you know. If if that's your thing, fine, but it's it's too limiting for most things, I think. Mm -hmm. To loop it back a little bit, you know, designing, you know, getting your content right, putting it in a database in a way that's not polluted with layout instructions, um, creating an API, and and if when you do develop a web experience, start with mobile first and work your way up to larger screen sizes, and I still feel. 100% strongly about that but over the over the past couple of months my commitment to those things has deepened and slightly uh, and gotten more informed yeah I'm gonna say start with the command line first and work your way up to mobile <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah if you really want to make a, an API if you really want to figure out if your API is going to be useful everywhere create a CLI first yeah and it's it's Great. It's eye-opening. It's eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely uh I'm definitely sold on on the sort of it, I, I suppose there's a possibility as we sort of went into the niche um as we went into our niche so to speak <laughs> uh that that we could have learned that uh this was either it was futile or it was kind of the uh, uh or it was just too academic or something like that. And mm -hmm. if, if anything, I feel the exact opposite, which is that I feel like it's more urgent. Every time I see something new announced and I, I, I hear from publishers who are, you know, getting their their budgets destroyed by, you know, trying to develop for multiple platforms, you know, yeah. trying to trying to create a desktop version of their website and a mobile version of their website and two you know, iPad apps, native iPad apps with yeah. two different layouts, one for each orientation. And it's just like, and, and they're just, they're just, they, it's not doable. Like the, the margins aren't there. The profit's not there. I saw, I saw an article recently uh, and it was like, I wish I could remember the magazine. Oh, you know, it was Karen McGrain. It was a, a link to it in the show notes. It was her doing a presentation about um, working with Condé Nast and their, uh, I think Glamour is kind of their flagship print magazine. So yeah. sells something like 3 million copies, let's say 3 million copies a month off the newsstand. And the, once the, once the print edition goes to bed, all of the editors like totally scramble to try and create, you know, recreate the layout of the uh, magazine twice, once in landscape orientation and once in portrait orientation for the iPad. Mm. And I guess they're making a, one of those PDF type of things where it's, it's really just a PDF that you're downloading more or less. Right. And they're getting like 3000 a month. Like, so they're going to all, or it might've been 1300 a month. So they're going to all the trouble to like, to re-engineer this layout for for really nothing no sales essentially yeah. and it's hard to i mean you, one could argue that well they're they're doing it wrong it's not a compelling experience so why would anyone pay for it um but the fact of the matter is they're putting the time in to do it and it's not generating any return the way they're doing it so it seems unlikely that they would get be able to go to their boss and say we need more budget to do this better right <laughs> it's not sustainable yeah it just doesn't it doesn't make logical sense you know it just doesn't seem pragmatic so they're probably just going to stop doing it um and i mean in my opinion what they should do is is try and make a, a more a, a really nice interactive responsive website experience that mm -hmm. they could repurpose a lot more easily but I, I suppose the real purist would say they should release their content as an api or through an a, via an api and allow people to make their own clients 
and charge for some other way, you know, but the business model's not there because how do you get advertising revenue off of an API? <laughs> right, right. You, you kind of don't <laughs> at this point. Yeah, so there's, they're kind of, I, I don't see a way out for big, I didn't mean for this all to like turn into a, to a, a future publishing rant, but, you know, I guess <laughs> if we're talking about content, you can't help talking about publishers. No, you're gonna, gonna end up there at some point. Yeah, I just don't see a way out. You know, it's like, well, maybe the, maybe the, maybe the answer is, you know, there isn't a way out and people just don't value the content that much. So, yeah. it, you know, if, if that's the reality, then that's the reality. Right, right. If, if that's what happens, then, you know, it happens. If your business doesn't provide value, your, your business isn't going to succeed. Right. <laughs> and if, if people, you know, if you can't provide the value on the, on the mobile experience, People are going to buy it. Right. Well, we should definitely, we definitely will link to the Karen McGrain's talk because not only is it um, totally on the money and not only does she articulate all of these concepts way better than I'm doing, but it's actually, <laughs> it's also hilarious because she's wicked funny. So uh, it's totally worth watching. So that's, that'll be cool. But anyway, I, I don't feel, I feel like most of the stuff we're doing is much more on the services side or creating like uh feel like we're creating like Unix command line tools for the internet in a way. Yeah, it's it's a lot it's a lot lower level. Right. And it's a little bit easier for us to kind of wash our hands of the content issue because it's like, well, you know, put in whatever content you want, that's not our concern. Our concern is making sure, you know, these making sure that content's accessible. Right, it's accessible and it's uh, you know, scalable yeah. and it's yeah. backed it, up. It really excites me. Um I know we've touched off and on about accessibility, but from an accessibility point of view, it really excites me too, because, um, I mean, you know, there, if you can build a client for anything, then you know, you don't need to have a screen reader that relies on being able to read meta tag information that it can scrape off of a web page or alt tags for images or things like that. You can you know, you can just just pipe it right into a piece of software from the API, and as long as your content from your API is well structured, then you can just you know, have it have it read off to you that way. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. I I think that I see this sort of wave of API. Uh, I I feel I feel like there really is kind of an explosion of APIs. I mean, like like the Obama administration just proclaimed that all federal agencies had to have API access to the data on their websites, which is huge. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. It's just, it's, it feels like a wave of APIs are, are, are happening. The sort of people are mobile, I think has been the wedge that made people realize that they had to do this for real. Yeah. Did I ever show you the, uh, the Kenya open data project? It sounds familiar, but um, basically, the the Kenyan government has done a lot of the same thing, and as far as opening up, opening up their data through APIs. And when you get over, when you're talking about someplace like in East Africa, the majority of your internet access is going to be over a over a phone or a mobile device rather than a, a desktop PC. So the API becomes even more important. Mm. And so it was kind of kind of interesting to see them adopt that and kind of jump on that so quickly. Whereas you know, we're just now starting to the governmental government APIs are starting to open up over here. Mm. Yeah. It's, it struck me that these APIs are kind of delivering, starting to deliver on the promise of the semantic web that never came to fruition. Right. Where the, the semantic web concept is that the web is the database and that you should be able to, that machines should be able to programmatically um, inspect your site in a way that, uh, would allow smart things to happen on your behalf. So, you know, you, things like microformats and and really just the whole standards standardization process around HTML are pushing in this direction, but there's just so much um, variation and just like crap invalid HTML all over the place that uh, it's it's. I don't know if it's fair to say it hasn't, it's not fair to say it hasn't caught on, but it certainly hasn't delivered on the promise that of the semantic web that, uh, you know, that, that exists, that you could, the, 
what it could be is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, when you look at the difference between a, a well-structured and, and well-formed JSON response versus you know semantic markup of that same content on a web page, mm. programmatically there's just there, there's just no comparison. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to want to go with the, the the JSON object every time. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no other than scraping sites, which is the most awful experience. One of the big issues with it ever working, I, I think, is that you you end up doing things to your content um, in that particular in the for the particular experience you're trying to create on the client side that is mm-hmm. purely presentational and can screw up the data. So it's almost like, you know, the semantic web is kind of about, it's kind of like, I'm probably misunderstanding this or misrepresenting it, but it always sounded to me like the argument was if you, if you, if all of your site sites, if all your pages are valid and semantically correct, then, you know, that make the world a better place because we can have, you know, uh, Google interoperate with, um, God, I don't know, like United Airlines to yeah. buy you a ticket, you know, it, and it, it's just like, that's what APIs are. APIs are now fulfilling that promise, it seems to me. Right. It's like, I think the, the idea of the semantic web is that your, your markup is semantic and then you leave all of your presentation up to your, to your CSS and you get this, the markup then becomes descriptive of the structure of the content and which is, is good in theory, but and I sort of feel like we've definitely made improvements toward that as far as, you know, doing things like getting rid of tables for layout. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what have you. But at the same time, it also kind of feels like sort of like we've gone the other way with it as well because you see CSS frameworks coming out now and I they pretty much all do it where you end up getting getting class names and attributes in your markup or maybe adding extra extra divs or, or extra markup to your page that that is is not semantic because it's it's uh you end up with a class name like grid 12 right. or something that's that's not descriptive of the type of content at all right yeah it's you've got those warring kind of competing um um departments if you will where you've got yeah where like the marketing department can see the site and they're like we don't like the way it looks change it and the developer has to go and make a change that forces them to do something non-semantic, let's just say, where yeah. the marketing department can't see the API. They're never going to, they're not going to care about it. They're not going to um, influence it in a, in a way that will potentially break it, even if it's, you know what I mean? Like they, they're kind of, right. in a lot of cases, breaking the semanticness of the website, but they've got a reason because they want it to right. look different. But no, that that whole you cut out that whole conversation when you're just dealing with the API side of the thing because the only people who care about that are the developers who are going to control it so or or, or work with it, and that's that. It's like everybody who cares is kind of on the same page where everybody who cares about so to speak, whereas everybody who's on uh, who's ever everybody's who who's concerned about a particular website or a web page they're not all on the same page, so to speak. Right. They're looking, looking at that one particular context. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, potentially, potentially at the dead horse beating stage now, but, uh, (laughs) but it's, it's really, it's all about, um, I think niche to sum it up. I think the, the thing here is for us to kind of continue to experiment at the edge of wireless computing and and come up with everything, you know, tools and processes and workflows and just experience with um, creating stuff that runs everywhere. And, and mm-hmm. I don't just mean mobile web, you know, like on, on the Coke bottle and uh, over SMS and on the, you know, the LCD display screen on your car radio and over voice. And all of this stuff is going to become... Uh, in the near future, this stuff is going to be something we have to deal with. And I think, you know, anything we can do to kind of like, I don't want to say blaze a trail, but at least contribute to the, uh, the body of knowledge around it is, I think, going to be really cool <laughs> and important. 
Yeah. Yeah. Voice is something I want to experiment with. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I just got my hands on uh, Siri on my iPad. And mm -hmm. it's, it's funny because um, the, uh, and we totally have to wrap up. I've got bo <laughs> bocce tonight, but uh, it's the playoffs. We're at last game of the regular season and we're not out oh. of it. Oh, wow. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so now what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. Siri on your iPad. Oh, right. So I noticed uh, in Johnny Ive from Apple was talking about the new um, the new Retina Display MacBook Pro, and he referred to it, mm -hmm. he referred to their laptops as their portable line. And like, bing, light bulb went off in my head because I've had so many debates with people about what is mobile and is, mm -hmm. an, is an iPad mobile. And, and when he said portable about the computer, it all fell into place for me because the, the, the laptop is portable in that you can go to Starbucks or whatever, obviously, but you don't use it while you're moving around. Almost never do you use a laptop right. while you're walking. And, and to me, it's also similarly true. I think they refer to iPads as tablets and they just avoid the whole portable versus mobile debate right. they just call them tablet computing and i think tablets kind of they're they're certainly more mobile than a laptop is in that you can continue watching it as you're going from your couch to your kitchen table for example but you don't see yeah. a lot of people walking around with them open sometimes you do but not very often you generally are using an ipad in a particular posture you know which is more relaxed posture uh as compared now compare that and, and people will argue that with me all day long, but there's no comparison when you just look around that people are yeah. using their phones in an extremely mobile context a lot. And I think the only place I've really seen iPads used in what you could call mobile as far as up walking around as I guess maybe, maybe in healthcare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and even then it's, it's, they're carrying it around with you or around carrying, maybe carrying it around with you, but you're not necessarily uh, unless you're unless you're dealing with time constraints, you're not necessarily going to be using it while you're moving about. Right. I mean, there's certainly there's just no comparison between that and like a phone, which which is clearly um, much more conducive to the mobile context. It's easier to use with one hand, or it's usable with one hand. Uh, mm -hmm. It's easy to quickly put back in your pocket, et cetera, et cetera. Just the the form factor factors. Right. I can I can walk down the street and look at a map. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. They're they're well. So the reason why I brought it up, though, is is to um, to point out that I've never really been a big fan of Siri on the phone because I generally don't want to be talking about what, you know, I don't want to bother people by talking to my phone. It's the same right. reason I don't like... Because you're, you're out and about. And, yeah. 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 I, first of all, I don't want people necessarily... I'm not like... I I'm sure I'm not searching for anything all that racy, but, you know, I... It's just checking domain names on Avalio. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't want to be talking to my phone in public. Uh, but yeah. I just got it on my iPad. And I have already just repeatedly have situations where it is it is literally easier. I'm by myself in my office. And it's just easier than typing to hold down that button and say um, what movies are playing tonight. And it's it would take me, like, a long time to type that. So right. uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, you brought up voice, and and I, I think that is a very very interesting and underutilized uh, input uh, option. Mm -hmm. So that will certainly be something that I'm looking forward to investigating where it makes sense. It'll it'll be we'll all be Star Trek and asking very ambiguous questions to our computers and getting very specific answers. Yeah, exactly. Siri, how tall are you? <laughs> Siri, make me a sandwich. Yeah. No. Sudo, make me a sandwich. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's if I if I get another dog, that's gonna my next dog. That's gonna be its name. <laughs> that's funny. All right, so I do have to bolt. So let's wrap. Yeah, it's it's getting late. Yeah. What happens when you don't start till four p.m.? Yeah, that'll do it. All right, so that is our niche podcast for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope to uh, see you again next week, or if you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye.
Bye.